Good afternoon, everyone. I don't know if this is working. My mother never said I had a problem with projection. She was a church choir, too, so that helped, choir master. I have a quick question for you. How many of you are here at the Rothko Chapel for the first time? Well, welcome. So for the rest of you, I'm going to just do the one little piece of housekeeping I have to do, and it's about presence. And it's about being present with one another. And towards that end, I'd ask if you'd please turn off or silence your cell phones and please refrain, refrain from taking pictures. It's just another way that we can stay together and be together in this place today. The other thing I'm very, very mindful of this day in history, um, it is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King, as we know. It's also a time in the liturgical calendar where we're in the season of Passover. Uh, for the Orthodox Christians, it's Holy Week, and on Sunday, they will be celebrating Easter. For the rest of the Christian community, is now looking towards Pentecost, having just uh, celebrated Easter. I'm a little out on the edge here, but for many Japanese Buddhists, on April the 8th, it's uh, the celebration of Buddha's birthday. So it just seems that we're at this moment of conversion right here at the chapel of so many things happening in addition to what I think is the constant over time, which is that we come today bringing our hopes, our fears, our trepidations, our longings about the world that we live in and the life that we have been gifted to live. So with that, we come to the chapel for a time of mindfulness for meditation, for prayer, and to be together in community. The, our meditation leader this afternoon is Galen Godwin, a Zen teacher, abbot at the Houston Zen Center. Her biography is in your program. She's been in Houston, um, really coming here since the mid-90s, but has made it to her home for the last, what, 18 years or 15 years. Uh, someone who's also very involved in interfaith uh, life and activities in our community. And uh, as we were sharing just a moment, a uh, minute ago, a very dear friend of some friends of ours in Oregon uh, who are also abbots of a monastery, the Great Val Zen Monastery in Klaskenai, Oregon. And I would say this having lived in Oregon for 18 years, it is a beautiful setting that is also very invitational. So if you find yourself ever in Oregon, please put that on the place to be because it is just life-giving and enriching in such a beautiful setting. So with that, I would like to turn the meditation over to Galen. And then um, I will also give a word at 1 o'clock when we finish with this about an audio installation we're offering in a moment of some time to think about the life and legacy of Dr. King. So again, welcome to the Rothko Chapel. Thank you, David, and greetings, everyone. So nice to see you here. So I, uh, I'm going to talk about, and then we will do some Zen meditation. Uh, I think all of the spiritual traditions have a meditative practice, and Zen meditation is the one I know best. Um, Zen, the word Zen actually means meditation. It means meditative absorption, basically. So it is one of the schools of Buddhism. It's part of the Buddhist tradition. And it's practiced by people of all faiths. It isn't just something that uh, only Buddhists do. So there are a lot of Buddhists in Houston who do meditation, and there are a lot of every other faith who do Zen. 
So what we'll talk about today is this form of just allowing. When we talk about meditation, we, talk, we call it zazen, which means just meditation, just sitting, just allow. So we're going to practice a form of awareness that is just allowing ourselves to be here. Allow the breath, allow the mind, allow the body. We do meditation with the body. So we're just going to allow the mind to be here in this body and notice what the body tells us. And throughout the meditation, now and then I will say something just to bring us back, but what I, what I trust, what Zen trusts, is being aware of what's happening is the path to being our real selves and the path to awakening. And in keeping with Dr. Martin Luther King's teachings, a person I admire so much and who inspires me to this day, his legacy will live forever, um, that one of the profound strengths of his offering to us is his ability and his teaching to be present, to be present with what's happening. One of his teachings is, they're going to let dogs out, look at the dogs. They might have fire hoses, look at the fire hoses. And when he said it, he said it, he says it with strength and calm and presence. So what Zen is, is the recognition and the practice of that kind of pre presence. We just let ourselves look at what's happening. And of course, you know, the mind is a distracted place. The body has all sorts of information it's giving us. So you could imagine that when, we're, when we first sit down, we're like a, a, a bottle of something that's been shaken up and the, uh, the floaty stuff is all up there, our thoughts. And as we sit still and learn how to practice in this way, it settles. And we find the natural calm that's always there. So one of the things about Zen that makes it so easy is that um, the highest states of realization, this kind of calm presence, uh, absolutely equanimous, peaceful being is something that you all already have. Everybody has this. And then practice is what allows us to recognize it and to cultivate it and allow it to be a, strength, a strong presence in our lives. So, oh, and one other thing I want to say because uh, Dr. Martin Luther King also lived this out, uh, Zen is inextricably intertwined with social awareness and with being active in the world. So when we sit, we get back in touch with our social, our interconnectedness, our responsibility for each other, and what everyone else is bringing to us. So we aren't separated from other people, and once we, we uh, really understand that, we know we are, everything we do will be helping them in aid of this, this world that we live in. So the precepts, as we call them in Zen, are inextricably intertwined with our meditation practice, but the uh, ethical teachings of all the spiritual traditions serve the same function, to tie us to our interconnectedness and our deep responsibility for each other. So now I'm going to sit in the classic posture, But any form of sitting is okay. Sitting on chairs is good. After a little while, we'll probably do some standing meditation. 
but I ask for this because this is more comfortable for me. <laughs> So take a few minutes to notice your own body sensations. Notice your own breathing. Take a breath, feel your belly, side ribs, all the way to the tops of your lungs. And exhale. Notice the natural movement of your body as it breathes. Notice the sensations on your body, your feet, where they're touching the floor, the base of your spine on the chair. Allow these things to be interesting. If you want, you can put your hands together in the Zen posture. This is called the cosmic mudra. Your right hand is open, the left hand rests on top. Thumb tips come together very lightly. This is an oval. Your upper, upper body also makes an oval, if you'd like. Notice the sounds, allow the sounds without particularly naming them, sound is happening. We're going to sit in ease, but a slight effort, very gentle and respectful effort to return awareness to the sensation of breathing. Where do you feel the breathing? Do you feel cool air coming into the nose? And do you notice the sensation of the air on your skin?
And you might want to just allow body sensations. You might notice your knees, your back. Allowing the facial muscles to relax. Usually in Zen, the eyes are slightly open, gazing in a very relaxed way in front. Soft eyes, but you can close them if that seems very distracting right now. As you bring attention to the breath, you might try to notice the very end of the exhalation, where there's a natural pause before inhalation starts again. Try to notice that little gap where things stop. You might notice that the mind is busy. And if it is, no need to worry about it. Just gently invite your awareness to the breathing and your body. It's also good if you notice an area of tension in your body and become interested 
and then move to ease that tension, change your posture. Present with the sounds around us. Present with breathing. Present with the posture. Present with just thoughts. might notice your hands again. If your hands are together, noticing the sensations where the fingers meet, the thumbs lightly touch, or they might be resting on your legs. Notice that point of contact.
And you might notice some moments of calm or stillness. And when you do, allow yourself to notice it. Allowing ourselves to really appreciate moments of calm is a very important part of practice. Try to breathe with a moment of calm. It's very nourishing for stillness. Noticing the breath, allowing it to flow, as it fills your abdomen, your side ribs, up to the tops of your lungs, it naturally helps us stay upright.
Breathing in, allowing body and mind to be calm and at peace. Breathing out, allowing body and mind to be calm and at peace. We usually put our hands together in a small bow and move side to side before standing. I'd like to teach you or show you another form of meditation, which is standing meditation. So if you'd like to stand, you can continue sitting if you'd like to, but this is very handy. In, in Buddhist meditation, there are four postures, standing, walking, sitting, and lying down. And you can do meditation in all four postures. I would teach you the lying down meditation, but th these benches are kind of hard. So another time. But standing meditation, take a posture, take a stance. Your feet are just comfortably shoulder or hip distance apart. Make sure your knees are a little bit relaxed. And we'll start by just beginning at the waist. The effort begins at the waist. Move side to side. You can let your arms swing a bit. Let your head turn. Your eyes are open, just scanning without too much attention. Take some deep breaths. This part is actually a qigong exercise, and it gives your whole body a little massage. Loosens up sticky places. 
and come to a stop. Just do a little shoulder loosener. Shoulders forward, up, back, and down. Forward, up, back, and down. Forward, up, back, and down. And stop in the other way. Back, up, forward, down. Back, up, forward, down. Shake the hands a bit. Shake off all the things they've been doing. Hands, get the elbows involved. Relax. Take a deep breath. So you'll notice that from the hips to the top of the head, we're in the same posture as when we're, when we're sitting. But the, bre the breathing might be more spacious now. Feel your belly, feel your side ribs expand, tops of the lungs, and exhale. Physiologically, this is one of the ancient techniques, and now they've verified it with cognitive science, which is always handy. But ancient meditators also noticed that when you inhale, your attention comes up, you exhale, your whole physiology relaxes. So inhaling, aware, exhaling, allowing a little relaxation. So your eyes can be open and relaxed or closed. Think about your collar blade, collar, collarbones being wide. Think about your shoulder blades dropping down your back. Take your full space. Let your head float up toward the sky. Maybe a little bodhisattva or an angel has a string attached, helping us stay upright. And now we just stand like a mountain for a few minutes. And you'll notice lots of little movements. Mountains aren't still either, moving all the time. Notice the feeling of your feet holding you up. The top of your head extending. Just present as you are. And if thoughts come up, just let them blow away like mountains at clouds at the top of a mountain. Just present. You might notice your fingertips also.
another inhalation, deep breath this time. Fill the whole body and exhale. And now if you'd like, stretch up in any way you'd like. Wake up. And relax. And we'll sit back down for another brief period of seated meditation. Notice your body. Try to not keep your awareness on sensations as you sit back down. Not bothered by what your mind is thinking. Interested in the body. Usually when we're doing sitting meditation, we also we start by moving side to side a few times to find your center. Let the body find its center. And then place the hands where you'd like them. Investigate the breathing, take a breath, fill the whole body, and exhale. Allowing all this information, the sounds, the light coming in your eyes, even if your eyes are closed, there's light coming in. Sensations on your skin, internal sensations. And for this one, if you'd like, if you'd like again to explore the breathing. As you notice the very end of an exhalation where it stops, you might try counting one silently and then the next exhalation where it briefly pauses naturally, two. And continue up to 10 and start over or start over if you get carried away by thoughts. In Zen, we don't uh, try to suppress thoughts or even fight with them. We just learn how to bring our awareness to sensations. And the thoughts just calm down by themselves. Or you might imagine, we might imagine we're sitting under a bridge and those thoughts are starting on one side and 
going off on the other side, going on their way. And we just invite our awareness back to being right here. Noticing the support that's always around us. The people who are here supporting us. The incalculable support we all receive.
breathing in, allowing body and mind to be calm and at peace. Breathing out, allowing body and mind to be calm and at peace.
So again, if you'd like, put the hands together, a little bow, moving side to side, taking your time to move out of the meditation <coughs> moment, stretching. Usually if you're sitting at home, it's good to do something very gentle after meditating or read part of a a spiritual book that you like. Give yourself a little transition from meditating to the rest of everything that's calling upon you. So we'll move gently, but I believe we could have some discussion if you'd like, is that correct? But I wish you all a very, very peaceful day. Thank you so much for joining us. So for discussion, it's hard to move into that. Questions or comments? Me too. I'll try to speak loudly instead. <laughs> We're recording it, so if you would actually speak into the microphone. Right. Uh, okay. All right, I'm going to dive right in. I've studied various religions, and there are all these flavors and branches of Christianity and of Judaism. And I've tried to learn about Buddhism. And Me too. It's very, <laughs> there's a lot of words about Buddhism, a lot of words. And so I'm curious, just in spoken words, the place that Zen exists in the whole range of Buddhism with that whole Mahayana, Theravada, all that stuff in the tree. Where, where is it and what is it? How did it happen? Well, as I said at the beginning, uh, Zen means meditative stability. So in uh, all schools of Buddhism, and as you say, it's it's a vast array, many kinds of Buddhism. And in, here in Houston, one of the amazing things is that we have many kinds here. So we've got Vietnamese monasteries, Chinese monasteries, Thai monasteries. Uh, so we've got the whole range. We also have a Sri Lankan uh, Vihara, which I visited recently down by the by Hobby. Uh, I think we have the full range of Buddhist, Buddhism represented here, and we like to get together. Um, but Zen, all schools practice various things. So some are slightly more studious than others, some, but all have the full array. They have chanting, they have meditation, they have stu study, they have good works. They have uh, retreats, silent retreats. So everybody practices Zen. And then about uh, 2,000 years ago, around, around that amazing time, you know, when Christianity was starting, around that time, uh, Buddhists, upon reflecting upon themselves, felt like they were leaning a little too far toward the cloistered monastic side and concentrating on personal liberation and enlightenment and staying away from people. They felt that about themselves. So uh, with that self-reflection, this other thing, the Mahayana grew, so it became more um, open to others. And Zen then is probably the most um, situated in the world. 
It's the most determined to be, um, to you, you know, to sit in presence with everything that's happening and be available to help. So that's how Zen sees itself. But all schools of Buddhism are definitely devoted to helping and to, you can't, you can't wake up alone, you have to wake everybody up. But Zen particularly likes to be located in urban centers and, they, but we also have monasteries. I just visited one in California. Uh, but it, it's, it's meant to be practiced in urban settings by ordinary people, including me. And right back here, I'd like to introduce Glenn Duvall. Would you stand up? He's one of our founders. He was one of the people who started our group at the first UU with the Reverend Bob Shively about 40 years ago. That's where we started. So our, our group was essentially started by a Unitarian minister 40 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> it, it, does that answer the question? Is that good enough? Uh, I have a question. Um, I practice mindfulness, uh -huh. and I'm still, and I also been at Zen retreats, but my question is, where do those two meet, if there is such a thing? And the other thing is that I was very uh, surprised and very grateful that there has been a movement in Latin America Yes. of um, taking Buddhism as a part of daily life, yes. you know, whether you are Catholic or Jewish or whatever. And I was also gladly surprised to see that it's also happening in the state, in the Hispanic community. Yes. Uh -huh. Do you have anything to say about that? Yes, we have a Dharma in Espanol group in our very center. So which part would you like me to answer? <laughs> Uh, hard to, mindfulness and Zen? Okay. Mindfulness is really, oh, it's wonderful. It's, it's really spreading. So that's a piece of Buddhism taken out and made accessible. So it's like uh, a form of meditation, a, a form of meditative awareness that is really uh, e easy to comprehend. So the way to do it in a Buddhist setting is sort of like what I was saying at the very beginning. It, Zen and Buddhism is, and Zen mindfulness is inextricably connected to ethical practice. So the, the reason for being mindful is to make us um, more able to be helpful in the world. It isn't just to be, um, what would I say? It isn't just to be a better um, tech person. That might happen, but it's, it's in service of being more useful in the world. So does that make sense? So Zen and mindfulness go together when you realize that we're, it's making us interconnected. If you're mindful of our interconnectedness, that would be, that would be a really successful uh, goal of mindfulness. And then about Latin America, yeah, it's everywhere. It's been down there for more than 100 years, actually. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Hi, my name is Natalie, and my question Hi, probably not related to Buddhism, uh, but I have a question. Have you ever heard about holotropic breath work? And if you did, 
um, it's a healing technique. And if you did, what is your opinion about that? Oh, I've, I've met people who've done it at Esalen in California, and it seems to be very beneficial. But I myself haven't practiced it. Have you tried it? No, I haven't. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Yes, it seems to be very beneficial. But uh, again, in, in line with our spiritual practice, all of us are drawn to different things, and that's part of what I trust. We all try different experiments, and then we tell each other how it worked for us, and we encourage each other and support each other. So some of us like yoga, and some like, is it holotropic? Holotropic breath work. Some of us like running. Some of us like weightlifting. Yeah. Yes, so this, the effort of doing Zen meditation is to settle the self on the self and be yourself. We're, we're all going to be quite unique. And inside, you know, sometimes people will observe that Zen people look very calm. I think it's like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. He looked calm, but inside he was a ball of fire, right? And that's what we're trying to cultivate, too, so that you're calm and then you can act when you need to act. Yeah, thank you, Natalie. Hi. Anything else? More? Last question. I'd like a brief overview, if you could, of the history of Buddhism and women as teachers in Buddhism. I know there are a lot of female, boy, there's a million titles, right? A lot of women who are um, in your position as teachers and perhaps a leader of a monastery or whatever. Um, how has Buddhism done with regard to that over time? Well, that's one I will give, it's so brief, but um, that's one of the things I'm really proud about, about Buddhism. So from the very beginning, well, there was a tiny bit of a delay, but uh, the historic Buddha did ordain women. He ordained men, and they took up the role of devoting their life to practice, which is what ordination means. It's just, this is the most important thing. You're going to practice, and... Uh, live an ethical life. So men did that, and then there was a little bit of a delay. Women wanted to be ordained, and then one of his main disciples had to talk the Buddha into it. And so I'm very proud of that. From the very beginning, women have held equal status with men, except the Buddha gave uh, eight or 28 extra rules for the women. <laughs> and so I'm also very proud of that. You know, it's like we had to work harder. Uh, and then, you know, cultural flavors have come in, and so in different countries you'll see the flavor of whatever their gender relations are, including in, in this country. But the bedrock is women and men are the same. And the bedrock is lay and ordained are the same. So the four groups in early Buddhism are ordained men, ordained women, lay men, lay women, all equal. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So the, I will say one more thing about that, which is that the reason for wearing symbols and for wearing the marks is it makes you easier to ask questions of. Otherwise, it's perfectly fine to be in, you know, you just go out in the world, like there are a bunch of Buddhists in this room, and unless, and, well, when they start talking, you'll know they're Buddhists because they're very nice, they're very funny, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're very humble. 
So the reason for taking up the marks is so people can, like I was in San Jose, California last year and I was dressed sort of like this and this woman, I was looking for some lunch in this grocery store and a woman came up to me and said, I don't know what you are, but can I talk to you? <laughs> so, so, yes. <laughs> Thank you. One last question, right? Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to go to Bhutan. And um, it was so special because uh, there was, there was um, a great master that was up a mountain mm -hmm. and we kept climbing the mountain and people were coming down but they were protecting him. They didn't want, you know, Americans or something going up and so, um, but we just pretended like we didn't know what they were saying. Good. And we went up and um, um, it was, it was uh, very, very powerful because he was resting and they said just to wait and uh, they had all these wonderful prayer flags that were that were up there that were faded. People had made um, uh, wishes, and then you just put it up uh, the the flag on on the on the on the um, pole, mm -hmm. and um, and it goes out to the world, you know. Right. And so, yeah. anyway, he he did come, and um, uh, I wanted him to give me a blessing. Mm -hmm. And so I went up to him, and he and he just looked at me, and then he, and then uh, he said the most profound words to me, that that um, I, I felt like that you know I had a real mission mm -hmm. um, in in my own heart, and uh, I burst into tears. No, no, he poured some holy water over my over awesome. my head, yeah. and and he says you have a destination, and so he talked to me a little bit. Well, I was just. <gasps> You know, it, it was, I remember it to this day, and it was like 40-something years ago. Absolutely. So I just wanted to share that. It's just powerful. Yes, and it's still ripening. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Galen, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your gifts. Um, we can all say thank you with this and a clap, too. Oh. Thank you both. Um, <laughs> Just in closing, one, two things. Um, we, in your program, um, you will also have a little bit of the history of the meditation series uh -huh. that started in 2005. You'll see um, upcoming meditations that will be led here, first Wednesday of every month. And I think it comes back to the very first question, which is that ecumenism, broadly understood, is what we try to practice here. Yeah. So that in each of our traditions, we have different branches and thoughts. And so part of what we tried to do over time is to show the diversity, both intra as well as inter. So I invite you back on any time. Uh, the chapel's open every day, as you know, but come to the meditation. It's a great way to learn about our city, too. Because yes. one thing I find amazing about Houston Everything you can think of, we have, plus everything you have never thought about. <laughs> and so we try to put a little bit of that here at the chapel. As we move into uh, ending this part of the day, um, we also wanted to transition with a moment of silence and continuing to think about the life and the living legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And Galen's words about Zen and the practice is so embedded in the ethos of the chapel 
where we use the words contemplation and action. And for those of us that are here a lot and come and visit and come to programs, as we sit in this sacred space, it was designed by uh, Mark Rothko and many others to think about that inner work, that meditative, what our purpose. But as we leave this place and we see right to the south, the broken obelisk, by Barnett Newman dedicated to the life and legacy of Dr. King, which is memorialized in a living memorial with the testimony right on the concrete with that dedication. We're always reminded of that interplay and what is the ethic and the social responsibility. And meaning, in absence of community, I'm not sure it's complete. So part of that is that interplay. So what we're gonna do today is we're going to just pause for a minute of silence and then as we do on Martin Luther King's birthday, we do this every year, uh, three or four times during the day, we broadcast, audio broadcast, speeches and sermons of Dr. King. So today what we're going to do is following the minute, we're gonna broadcast that famous speech that he almost didn't give on April 3rd, I've been to the mountaintop, that he gave at the um, Mason Temple, which Church of God in Christ headquarters, in Memphis, Tennessee that he did the night before. So that is what we're doing is our way of honoring and our gift that we can give. Please stay for what you can. I know there's other obligations, but again, thank you for gifting us with your presence here at the Rothko Chapel today.